Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg Srizavasti. Here is my latest Flick City installment. There's a whole bunch of interviews for this segment. First off, yeah, I just uploaded the recent discussion I had with Anderson regarding the, the previews for the rest of the month for Cinematic. So if you haven't, catch that. Catch that. If you haven't listened to that, listen to what we're excited about the rest of July. Now, I've been talking about this for the last maybe year or so, but there's this one, even though I have my own website, Deepest Dream, I've been talking about this other site called findyourfilms.com. And I've been more like in the, in the process of thinking about it rather than executing the plan. But my grand plan ultimately for that site is to combine the stuff that Anderson and I have been doing the last five or six years with cinematics and find your film that I, the podcast I've been doing with Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes for the last couple of years. And I think one of the things that find your film, that find your film site, which is findyourfilms.com site will be my big vision would be, it would be a website for all four of us that all four of us could actually take a part in contribute to. And right now, Eric Holmes is and Bruce Berkey, they, they've been doing some really great material outside of the regular episodes of Cinematics and Find Your Film. They recently did a, a spoiler episode of The Black Phone, which I have yet to upload on the Find Your Film podcast feed. So ultimately, I would love to reach out to you guys, to, to the listeners here on Cinematics. If you had a website for example, a, a basically a movie website. What are some of the things that you would love to read about on that specific website? For example, my I'm not exactly great at doing lists, but would you like to actually have lists on a blog or or like like top ten? I don't know top ten banks in cinema history. Would you would you like those kind of listicle things on a website? Would you like more heavy, intense film, intense Anderson Cowan? directing tips, not just from Anderson, but from other directors? And would you like little blog posts about that to be posted on findyourfilms.com? One thing I'm definitely going to do for that website that we're going to definitely do is talk about spoilers on the website. Like we talked about the black phone, that this Find Your Film site will be a great place to house a lot of movie spoilers. So I'm thinking movie spoilers, also maybe film insights on how to I don't know, maybe even how to budget your film or how to shoot movies, maybe get some advice from industry professionals and specifically put it on the findyourfilms.com site. Now, one of the things I would, I'm really interested in hearing what you guys have to say because truth to tell, cinematics gets a ton more just listens than find your film. So a lot of you guys who are listening to it are, we, we've, uh, me and Anderson, we've, um, We've collected, not collected, we've, we've created this community. Well, maybe collected too. Maybe you're collecting us. We've, we've just uh, started this community back in 2015, 2016, and we're trying to grow this. The thing with Anderson is obviously he split up with the film vault and I have find your film. And then he also has after disaster. He has his directing career and Addie's antiques and being a dad and being a loving husband. I have. You know, I'm taking care of my mom. Actually, she takes care of me. I'm doing Find Your Film podcast. I'm doing all of these things. I'm thinking about, I learned today how to do friggin' do a friggin' uh, YouTube short for the first time and a TikTok. I'm so old at 50. I'm still learning. But one of the things I'm absolutely deeply passionate about as I get older is still 
I am passionate. It's not just me being passionate about it. It's really everything that I think about on a daily basis. I would say, obviously, I think about the welfare of my mother and my niece and my sister and all that stuff. Family first, right? Basketball as well too. But outside of that, the thing I'm thinking about the most during the day are movies because I have to do these interviews. I do these movie reviews, do the podcast, all that stuff. But I actually want a really a website that could be of service to our podcast listeners from even the you know the film vault even the film vault we want to incorporate some of those those folks um, and uh, those folks are probably you you guys you guys listen to the film vault and cinematics as well and find your film audience and our cinematics facebook group i just want ultimately a lot of the cinephiles that we have me anderson bruce perky and eric holmes have encountered and talked to over the years I'd like to actually have a website where all of us can go to and get some, like I like to say, value-added information. So that said, would love to hear, just email me at editor at deepestdream.com or info at findyourfilms.com. I'll leave those two emails where you can reach me because I'm really focusing on making that site work. Ultimately, I want that site to be a really catch-all and not catch-all, well, a catch-all movie site where people can go to and get some really insightful stuff. Now, maybe catch-all is not the right word, but just look, actually, the opposite of that, more of a niche-driven thing where if you go to that site, you're going to get a lot of spoilers, you're going to get a lot of maybe film advice or movie reviews, What's whatever. Email me, tell me what what you would like to see on findyourfilms.com regarding our, and regarding our cinematics and find your film coverage. Speaking of coverage, for this specific Flick City installment, I have a bunch of interviews. I interviewed Alice Krigga years ago for this junket called Sleepwalkers, I believe it. Yeah, it's a Mick Garris directed film. I believe it was based on a Stephen King novel or a short story, something like that. I just remember back in the day getting the chance to interview Alice Krigga as a UCLA Bruin, UCLA Daily Bruin student. And she was really, really nice to me. Several years later, I interviewed her. I think it was in New York for Star Trek First Contact. Okay. And I believe she played the Queen Borg or the Borg Queen, something like that. I remember really respecting her commitment to that role. I haven't seen that movie since she was, since that press junket, but I really remember loving her performance in that film. That was the last time I, I actually interviewed her. And over the years, obviously, she's had a illustrious career, diverse movie career. You might know her from Chariots of Fire. You might know Alice Krigga as well from the aforementioned Sleepwalkers, Star Trek First Contact, a whole bunch of other different movies. And she's, I'm trying to think of one other, oh, Ghost Story. You might know her from Ghost Story. I had the pleasure of interviewing her for this new film called She Will, and it's absolutely I loved it. I absolutely love She Will. She plays a woman who has a double mastectomy and she decides she goes out into the middle of the woods in the cabin and she's staying there to recuperate. She has a nurse along with her. And what happens in that cabin tend leads to a very supernatural situation where she she plays this character named well, Alice Kruger, she plays this character named Veronica Ghent. And ultimately, she gets either hallucinations or she can travel in 
in the dream, in some kind of dreamscape and alter reality. There are different, you're wondering what the heck is this movie She Will all about? It might be look, it might look like a horror film. It might look like a thriller. Ultimately, it's an atmospheric psychological thriller with surreal elements that I, personally, I loved it because it was abstract and it's visually immersive. But my barrier of entry to you guys listening here is She Will is not your standard tropey thriller where if you're looking for gore or just a ton of action, you're not going to get it. If you like interesting visual sequences and a fresh new voice, I believe the director's name, I don't have the iPad or or, or computer with me, right? And I apologize. Char- Charlotte Colbert, as uh, she is very, very good, a visionary filmmaker, and I really loved everything about She Will. It's currently out now in theaters. And this is the reason why there's a quick turnaround. I uploaded that cinematics, the recent cinematics episode on Friday, and now here's Saturday, a day later, I'm uploading another episode. I, I want you guys to know that She Will, we did not cover that on the cinema, the previous cinematics episode. I forgot to mention it. I recommend it. But again, there is a bit of abstraction with this movie. But Alice Krigga gives gives a deliriously intense and and just inspiring performance. Love her as an actress. I believe, even though she's had a celebrated career, she is very very underrated. And before the interview started rolling, I I started recording the interview. I just told her off the record, and I'm actually putting it on the record right now that she's one of the kindest people I've interviewed in my 30 plus years of doing this press junket business. Okay. So Alice Krigga is my first interview for She Will. And then the second interview is interesting. Okay. This movie's called Gone in the Night. It's a psychological thriller, not, not just psychological. Let's just say it's a thriller thriller. And it has Winona Ryder playing a middle-aged woman who is dating a younger man. The younger man is played by John Gallagher Jr. You might know him. I recently posted, I believe, an interview with him on the Cinematics podcast feed. He was recently seen in that movie, Abandoned, opposite, uh, what is, Emma Roberts. Okay. He, John Gallagher Jr. is a young guy. He's dating an older woman played by Winona Ryder. Never thought that would happen when I would even think of Winona Ryder as an older woman. We're, we're the same age. But they go to a cabin, a timeshare cabin out in the middle of the Redwoods. And they, they find two younger people staying in the cabin, played by Owen, Owen Teague, I believe, and Brianne Chu. They're young, they're young lovers, and they have a rebellious streak. So it's sort of a cross general, uh, cross generational, general, cross what? Cross generational thing, I apologize. And so what happens is those younger kids, even though those youths decide to, hey, let's let the older folks Spend the night with us. They're trying to be nice. To the young kids are trying to be nice to the older folks. Let them stay with us in the shack up with, with a, in the cabin with us in the night, even though there's this timeshare confusion, and then they can leave in the morning. The problem is Winona Ryder's character, when she wakes up in the morning, her boyfriend's gone. Not only is her boyfriend gone, uh, yeah, she doesn't know what she's wondering. Oh, well, did she leave her? And what happens is, she, Winona Ryder's character, she surmises, or actually, the the younger the younger man tells her that his girlfriend ran off with Winona Ryder's boyfriend. Okay, okay. So John Gallagher Jr. sort of starts making out with Brienne Chu. At least that's what the story is behind Gone in the Night. Max. 
X. They're gone. What do you mean? Where, where's just... Hey, Al. Listen to me. Where is Max? We were walking, and I had to stop to take a piss, and when I found them... What? They were hooking up. They what? Your fucking dude was like groping my girlfriend, okay? <laughs> and and I, I, I ran up to try to save her and, and she just laughed at me. And then they ran off. But why? Why? I mean, Greta, do you really want me to answer that? So essentially, gone in the night refers to Winona Ryder's boyfriend who is, yes, gone in the night. As the narrative unfolds, Winona Ryder enlists the aid of the actual owner of the cabin, played by Dermot Mulroney, to help her find John Gallagher Jr.'s character. That is a premise of Gone in the Night, directed by Eli Horowitz. He, he was a pre, previously he was a podcast producer and storyteller, best known for that Julia Roberts Amazon Prime Video series, or Prime Video series Homecoming. And I interviewed Eli Horowitz back in the day for Homecoming, a series I really loved. And if you love some of that surreal elements of Homecoming, I believe you may really appreciate Gone in the Night. Here's the thing. A lot of people are bashing the movie, don't like the movie. I I even mentioned to Eli Horowitz, there's someone in our Cinematics Facebook group who called it dreadful. The movie was previously called The Cow, okay? He called the movie dreadful. I ended up really loving it. Okay, this is a four-star out of five film for me. I love the fact that it was subtle. I enjoyed the performances of Winona Ryder and Dermot Moroney. John Gallagher Jr. is really good too. And the movie itself, and I actually mentioned this in the in the interview with Eli Horowitz and John Gallagher Jr., that it's really not just a thriller. It's about how different generations find it very hard to communicate with one another. So, I feel that there are, there are going to be some people who will really appreciate Gone in the Night. There are going to be a lot of people who will differ with my opinion. Okay, so Gone in the Night right now, as we speak, like she will, these two movies are both playing in theaters. If they're, I'm putting this out there in cinematics. If you guys have the off shot, off chance of watching something uh, t- tomorrow, this or oh, this weekend on Sunday, if you're thinking of watching She Will or Gone in the Night, I recommend recommend them both. If you want a thriller with a really interesting twist, and if you love Winona Ryder, if you have some investment in her as an actor over the years, see Gone in the Night. But out, but if you want something just a surreal, expressionistic, horror, thriller kind of film. Oh, by the way, She Will is, is co-stars Malcolm McDowell. It's great to see him in this as well. So yeah, both of these movies are very interesting. And I wanted to get this podcast feed out with these interviews so you'll have maybe a taste of whether you want to see it in the theaters or possibly when it hits physical media or streaming. Okay, so Gone in the Night and She Will are are my um, my two interviews, my three interviews. Alice Krieger first, and then next up, 
will be John Gallagher Jr. and Eli Horowitz. The John Gallagher Jr. and Eli Horowitz interviews, I've actually cut up a little bit because I asked them to talk about the ending of Gone in the Night. There will be a lot of discussion regarding the ending of the film uh, with John Gallagher Jr. and Eli Horowitz. That actual content will be exclusive to our Cinematics Patreon members. All that said, there's going to be spoiler, still spoiler discussions on our findyourfilms.com website. I will allude to what Eli Horowitz and John Gallagher Jr. possibly said to me during these spoilers, but I won't. The actual audio and video will be housed specifically for our Cinematics Patreon listeners. Again, I know that's a lot of, that's a big intro. I'm looking, let me look at my, my Zoom H6 right now. This is a 15 minute intro and I apologize. I don't have the dyna, dynamism of and Anderson Cowan. So if you've listened this far, I really apologize. I'm, I was just trying to get a lot of information out there, but that's it. That, that's all I'm going to say for this. Hope you enjoy these interviews. I was actually going to wait until maybe Monday or Tuesday to release this because Monday I have my interview with Brienne Chu, the actress from Gone in the Night. She's very good in this movie, that movie as well. But I wanted to get these interviews out to you guys first so you have an, so you have an inkling of what she will and Gone in the Night are all about. Love you all. Thank you so much for, for supporting me and Anderson Cowan. Bruce, and part of our team, Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes for cinematics uh, all these years. So um, really appreciate that. And give a listen to Find Your Film. Obviously, you guys listen to the Film Vault. There, there's going to be a lot of movie stuff that I'll be doing. And uh, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going in circles, kind of like some of some of these movies. She Will and Gone in the Night, they they go in circles in a good way. Not like me. They, they're, they're both... they. Especially She Will. It gets really abstract and really interesting. Gone the Night has a twist that, look, I'm, I'm going to tell you, don't watch it. Even if you hate, if you, even if you end up not liking or even hating Gone in the Night, I love the twist. Uh, I, I just love the twist. All right. So anyways, I'm going to shut up now. Thanks again. Here are the interviews. And yeah, Alice Krieger first. Love her. And then, and then uh, John Gallagher Jr. And we're going to close out the interview with Eli Horowitz and props to Eli Horowitz for being absolutely self-deprecating when I called him out on saying, Hey, you know, they're going to pe- they're going to be people who really do not like your movie. I mean, that's the first time I've actually told the director, Hey, you know, there's some people who don't like your movie. How do you respond to that? So I think I might start doing that more or, and hoping that the directors I interview have the same temperament of Eli Horowitz. Hopefully they have the same temperament as you because you dear listener, cinephile, if you listen to this part, part you've actually have had too much patience with me before the interview started. All right, guys, have a great rest of the weekend, rest of the week. Enjoy yourself watching movies, and I'm going to shut up now and and uh, introduce and uh, and here are the interviews. All right, guys, I'm going to shut up. Bye bye. Had a strange dream. It was so real. It's something in the air. Mika. Any pain? Every pain. We really are in the middle of nowhere. It's a solitary retreat. Aha! La Dama. You will get better. My special girl. Wash your bastards out of you. I'm having dark thoughts. 
the earth was thought to have healing properties from the women who were burned as witches. Would you go back and relive your childhood if you could? We had a strong bond. Would you? First off, I was listening to your interview, your discussion with Mick Garris on, on postmortem, and you were mentioning how William Blake's The Sick Rose was a very pivotal part of your life, meaning that once you read that poem, you decided to go into drama. And The Sick Rose itself, even though it's a few words, one can live in that world for an inordinate amount of time. So that said, how how profound was it to actually get a project like this, like She Will, to, that script come across your desk? It was a rare and wonderful thing um, to be given uh, a script that was so detailed, such uh, an extraordinary arc of a journey that that takes in the most unexpected dimensions, but but otherworldly dimensions, but remains rooted in a character. Um, it, it, I thought it was a beautiful script. It is. It has so many threads that that are ultimately woven into a, a, a cohesive story by the end. I mean, it's a bit like to begin with. I thought it was like peeling an onion, but you peel an onion and you're left with nothing at the center when you peeled it all. So that's not the right analogy for me. It's like a flower unfolding, petal by petal, all these layers until ultimately you have a rose or a flower. Um, you, the whole thing has flowered and you see the whole. But it was every character is very finely drawn and detailed and imagined with this extraordinary story arc but also a story arc that has a very, for me, potent message for our time, which seems to be so fractured and so consumed with turmoil that one character with extraordinary empathy and patience and lack of ego offers another one the possibility of redemption, offers them a space in which they can trust and and finally experience love. Yeah, I, I'm sure you had your you, you put your faith in Charlotte and you had your faith in her as a filmmaker. But when you saw the final cut, just on a, a purely superficial visceral level, were you were you blown away by the visual compositions that came before your eyes? Yes, I I thought that I. I actually was, because we were hit by COVID almost immediately after we wrapped, it meant that the post-production period was uncommonly long, 
which I think was a great gift because it gave the whole thing time to um, to settle and to find its level. Alice, I'm going to actually try to uh, weave this in, okay? But I remember uh, an interview with the Quay brothers 10 years ago. They mentioned how during Institute uh, Benjamenta, you kept asking for uh, more takes and more takes. And that's something that they really appreciated because you were really going deeper into your character. And after production was done, you, they said that you freely just came into their studio to do some more uh, shooting with them. And I'm just wondering where that dedica- dedication came from. Was it when you were a child, when you realized this acting thing, I'm just going to really go deeper just and, and just really go than anyone else? You know, it seems like you've always had that kind of dedication. I, I think I have the unfortunate tray of being a perfectionist. And it's it's never, ever, ever good enough. You just have to be grateful you're not married to me. Um, my husband <laughs> is a long-suffering soul. Um, and, and usually you don't get that many takes. But, but I'm so grateful that you, if you spoke to the Quays, you must have seen Institute Benjamenta. I, I love that film very, very much. I, I just love the experience. It was a huge learning experience for me, actually. I learned a very great deal in that creative space. And, and the twins, like Charlotte, created a space that was extraordinarily rich and fertile. And it was the first movie I ever did where I felt as if I went to work and I fell asleep and started to dream. And it happened on She Will as well, that you just let go and go into an altered reality, an altered state. Um, and that's, you know, that, that was the brothers and the, the brothers Quay and, and Charlotte. It's um, a very, very precious experience to have. While you were making She Will, did you ever just, I mean, I don't know if you even had time to even reflect on that experience, because I think when I, one of my favorite filmmakers is Maya Darren, and that kind of experimental filmmaking and cinema on a grand scale is very rare, and it's it's only like movies like Institute and She Will that actually go up, exist. I'm, I'm surprised there's not more films like this. So, And, and in fact, both the brothers, Quay and Charlotte, are in addition to being filmmakers, are artists. It's very interesting. I mean, it is it is a, a, a slightly different sensibility. It's coming at the process in a slightly different way. If you, if you think back to Institute Benimento, um, a lot of the graphic design, those drawings of the, of the deer, that was the brothers. They did that themselves. So they, they were fine artists as well as being filmmakers. And it's a, it's a it's a slightly different sensibility um and and miraculously they were allowed to give that sensibility full play i mean there were enormous time constraints and money constraints but but even so both the brothers and charlotte were able to to bring that sensibility to bear Alice, you had a really celebrated career, and I'm sure you've been lauded by a lot of cinephiles like me over over your life. But just on a specified level, what's it like to to get praise from 
just genre enthusiasts, you know, people, they'll, they'll mention movies like Ghost Story, Star Trek, and everything like that, Sleepwalkers, and they will compliment you, I, I guess, on your overall commitment to the genre. That must, does that mean something to you when you get that kind of feedback from people who love your work in, in those types of films? It's, um, it's, it, it actually doesn't happen that often because I live quite a, quite a sort of cloistered existence. It doesn't happen very often that I am, I'm having a day like today when I'm, I'm and speaking to, to, to people about my work. Um, it's, it's, it's very hard for me to believe. It's very gratifying, but I have to not think about it afterwards. You have to, I have to, it's, it's kind of like, I can't, I have to keep a distance from that. I can't start to believe it, if you see what I mean. I can't, it, I, I don't know how to explain it. I, 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 I sort of, it's like not object. I, I don't know how to, sorry, I'm, I'm not usually so inarticulate, but it's, it's, yeah, I yeah. I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna, something remarkable. You've reduced me to speechlessness. It's never happened before. <laughs> well, a couple more uh, quick uh, questions, uh, very quickly. And I just really loved, without giving too much away, how she will sort of one of the many themes is no matter what, you know, just with maybe a sense of community around you or close knit friendships or maybe your own self determination, that trauma does not have to over take you in in the sense that one can can persevere and maybe live with it and and maybe overcome possibly overcome it i thought that was what i ascribed to she will and wondering if that's one of the many reasons why this project meant a lot to you just that it approached that area of trauma Uh, absolutely um i was incredibly moved by the script when when it um when I downloaded it into my computer, um, I I thought that her journey um, from a place of profound despair, she has reached the end of the road. She is so trapped by the trauma she's experienced by a child as a child that she's got nowhere to go. She is so isolated, so alone so unable to trust. Um, uh, Her anguish has reached a sort of unbearable pitch. And from that place, she is is taken forward um, to, to the ultimate resolution where she is actually able to look at the trauma and recognize that she's trapped by it, but also recognize that it was not her fault and that it has de- trapped her and that she need not be defined by it any longer. Um, she rises from the ashes yeah. like a phoenix. My last question for you, Alice, is it? it's a very uh, superficial question, but right off the top of your head, can you, can you name one of your all-time favorite movies and what is it about this movie that resonates with you today? Oh, my goodness. You, you, I apologize. You Sorry. That's that's an impossible. That there are so many remarkable films. Well, what can I, what can I say? I don't know. There are so many remarkable performances. They've all meant different things. Let me say this: 
Marlon Brando as as Mark Antony. I mean, towering performance. But there are so so many as as a as a as a girl of fourteen um, in a country where there was extreme censorship. I had the the extraordinary chance of seeing Vanessa Redgrave in The Seagull. I was just overwhelmed. There was um, a, a black and white film called An Old Man and a Boy that I, this one teacher, this house class mistress, we were, we were, we were thir- four, 13, 14, um, and she took us to see movies. It wasn't her brief at all, but she took us to see movies, and it made, it opened such windows for me. It was a world... I would never have dreamed of. A bit like the character, is it Tom in A Glass Menagerie? I believe so, yeah, looking up, yeah. Yes, he he goes to the movies to, I wasn't escaping my reality, um, but it opened unimagined worlds for me. And all I can say is there have been so many movies that have done that. And wow. How 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 blessed to experience them. Alice, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And I'm sorry, it is wonderful to be complimented. It's just really important you don't you you don't um, start to believe your <laughs> Yeah. Yes. And uh before I go, Sarah, make sure after this press day with with Alice, you actually watch Institute Benjamenta. Benjamenta, it's amazing. And just that kiss my eye sequence with Mark Rylance is one of my all-time favorite moments in cinema. So just FYI. I just can't great. wait. I love, yeah. I love ending a press day with a homework assignment. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to send you the link. Okay. Thank you so much, Please Alice. Do. Bless you. What Let's a joy to have spoken to you. We should take a little trip. Just the two of us. That does sound kind of nice. How'd you even find this place? I thought that you would like it. Why is there another car here? Ready or not now. We booked a cabin for the weekend. It's already dark. There aren't any hotels for like 100 miles. You can stay. This is like the inside of your brain. Everything all old school. Dude. The game for lovers. Gonna turn in. <laughs> Max? Max? They're gone. Come on, you're not even the least bit curious. About what? Who is this woman? What's he seeing her? I rented your cabin. I need the contact info for one of your guests. So you want to call her? No, I need to find her. Can't do a stakeout without a partner. That's her. Where the hell is she going? Oh, Jesus. I'm glad to see you. People are predictable. When they want something, they'll do whatever it takes. 
Should I call you Johnny or John? Uh, John is fine. Or Johnny. I know it says Johnny on my Zoom because that's how I set it up. But my professional name is John. But I answer to both. Okay. You answer to both. Yes. Yeah. Whatever about, rolls off the tongue. Mr. Gallagher, does that, does that, uh, is that, that okay works too? too? A little formal. I mean, a little formal for me. Um, but I'll accept it. <laughs> yes. You know, speaking of accepting, I, I really love this thriller, Gone in the Night. Very interesting oh, thriller. And I love Eli Horowitz's work from, from the Great. podcasting space as well. And you're, you're, you're a veteran as far as the podcasting as well, you know, being in that space. Yeah. One, wondering if you saw a little bit of those kind of flourishes with Gone in the Night regarding the subtle storytelling, which I, I thoroughly appreciated and the, and the awesome sound design too. Oh yeah, definitely the sound design. You can, you can tell it from that. And then also I think just the economy of storytelling, you know, if there's one thing I think you learn in podcasting, it's you have a you know limited amount of time to tell a story. And because you're using, you know, audio clues only, you have to choose your words or choose your sound effects very wisely to advance the plot and advance the storytelling. And I feel like Eli's done a really great job of taking that from the podcast space to the feature film script space where uh, the, the, the script packs a big punch, you know, like the mystery unravels in a very kind of economic way. You're never hanging on for too long without the answer. You know, every like, it's like, it was like every like five to six pages in the script, you'd get a little clue that would push the story further and make you think, okay, I think I know where this is going. I think this is going to this kind of detour here and there. So I feel like that's a little bit of the overlap that I noticed with Eli's work. You know, I, after watching this movie, I, I really lo- loved it. And I, I went to my local um, coffee place and I started speaking with someone who's 22 years younger than me. And I, I was like so awkward because I was trying to actually connect. And she was seemed so very natural. And I was trying to talk to a human being like I never knew how to speak before. And can you just talk about how I, I loved how Gone of the Night really reaches forth regarding um, the generational communication gap, or maybe there isn't. Can you just talk about that theme with this film that I thought it was really refreshing to see? Absolutely. And I think you've, you've completely touched on it there. I mean, that really is uh, what the film is about, the passage of time and mortality and generation gaps and kind of the differences between different age groups and how everybody is longing to either be somewhere in the future or somewhere in the past. You know, I think my character, Max, uh, is is caught in that flux. You know, he's a He's an, an elder millennial and he's dating uh, a Gen X woman, but he's kind of longing to belong in the Gen Z world where things are a little bit younger and a little sexier and it reminds him of his youth that he thinks is gone and he's never going to have his hipster cred back and his edge is lost and he's dating this slightly older woman because he wants maturity and he wants a safe haven, you know, and I think he wants to be loved and understood, but he also wants to go, you know, to the rave out in the woods um, so, you know, I think he's, he's caught in that, in that middle world. And there is that scene where, you know, he goes up to the, to the Gen Zers in the deli and, and tries to strike up some small talk and make some bad jokes and tries to kind of worm his way, uh, in, into their good graces. Not that I'm saying that's what you did at the coffee shop at all. Uh, oh, I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, man, I'd be doing the same exact thing. I go out, I mean, I live in Brooklyn, you know, and 
New York and I go out all the time and, and uh, always come home being like, when did I get so old? How did this happen? You know, but it comes for all of us, you know? Yeah, it does. It does come for all of us. I, I also look again, I've been doing this for over three decades and I remember the time when I had the chance to interview Dermot Moroni for Robert Altman's Kansas City. And, wow. Right. And, but for you, you've worked with and collaborated with so many luminaries, but can the inner teen in you fanboy over working with Dermot and Winona Ryder, even though you've come really far in your career and artistic career as well? Oh, a hundred percent. When I got this script about a year ago, I checked my email one day and I had an email from my agent and she had sent me the script for this film. And she said, hey, take a look at this. We we also represent Winona Ryder at this agency and she's obsessed with you and wants you to play the, the part of her boyfriend. You know, and I, I mean, I just fell out of my chair. I couldn't believe it. I mean, she is such a legend and an icon and one of my all time faves. I mean, her filmography, her performances, her her that stretch of work from the late 80s to the late 90s is like unparalleled in Hollywood. I don't think anyone has ever had a career quite like Winona. Um, and so I was totally flummoxed and a hundred percent starstruck on set every single day up until the last day we filmed. And I would just totally geek out and fanboy all over her for the whole time we were filming. I was trying to soak up as many stories as she was willing to share with me about her life and her career. And then the, I haven't really told too many people this, but uh, to make it even more kind of fanboyish, I would go home after filming and I would like watch a Winona Ryder movie every night. And I would sit there in my hotel room watching, you know, I watched Edward Scissorhands and, and I watched Beetlejuice and I watched Reality Bites and I watched Heathers and I would, I would watch it on my laptop and just kind of think like, oh my God, that's the person that I'm working with right now. I can't believe it. So it was totally, totally surreal and a hundred percent one of the highlights of my, of my career to date. And so cool to see her and Dermot reunite. Because they had played, you know, boyfriend and girlfriend in uh, How to Make an American Quill back in 96, I want to say it was. And um, so she had asked him to play the role as well. So Winona had a, had a big hand in kind of cultivating the cast for this film. So it, it felt very homespun and we had a really organic ensemble. And then Brianne Chu and Owen T, who round out the cast, they're fantastic. They're so talented. Um, both of them, I mean, they, they, not that they need me to say that they're going places because they already have arrived at so many places. I mean, they've done such amazing work already in their careers, but I feel like we're going to be seeing so much amazing work from them in the coming years. Can you talk about the song, uh, World Turn Space? I mean, I think you, you uh, composed it years back and, and then you, you yeah. uh, released it for Eighth and Jane. And what's it like actually returning to the song that you created? And I, I don't know how old you were when you created it, but it's just so vulnerable and open and beautiful and honest. And now we have, you have years of experience. How do you approach the song now and the feedback you've gotten? Because oh, I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. That means a lot to me, honestly. Uh, I mean, I wrote that song when I was 22 uh, and I'm 38 now. And so I've been playing it for a long time and finally put it out on this record last year. And uh, it's a trip because it's one that a lot of my fans seem to really connect with. It seems to be a fan favorite uh, for, for, for whatever reason. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I, so many of my songs are about love and longing and, and yearning and trying to connect and, uh, loneliness and alienation. I mean, that I find it to be just kind of an, a completely rich topic. You never really run out of material if you kind of follow those themes. Um, but it's cool to see how it's, how it's kind of aged. I mean, the, I don't know that I've ever said this publicly, but a lot of the song, a lot of the lyrics are kind of 
based off of, I, I was having a, I was kind of crushing on someone at that time in my life. And I had just watched Martin Scorsese's uh, documentary, No Direction Home about Bob Dylan. And there's some amazing footage of him on tour with Joan Baez in the 60s. And, and they had this kind of on again, off again, this kind of will they, won't they kind of lovers thing where they were friends, but then they were and then were, then they weren't. And then they were writing songs together and and stealing songs from each other and chain smoking. And um, and uh, there's a couple lyrics in in that song that's kind of a direct nod to that, because I remember watching that and thinking, God, that that looks like fun to be to be young in the sixties and on tour and falling in love and writing these folk songs. And um, uh, that, that, that's, that's not what the full song is about, but that's a pocket of it. And it's funny because I forget that that's in there sometimes because I take it on as a very, as a direct narrative. So uh, it's interesting. Songs are wild that way because you pull a lot of references from everything around you, whether it's a newspaper first thing in the morning or someone from your past or something that you thought of as you're half awake, half asleep. And then you put it together and it's a three and a half minute thing. And then it goes out into, into the world and becomes something else entirely. So it's, it's always fun. It's, it's like you get this chance to kind of revisit this old friend who's getting older as you're getting older because the songs kind of change, you know, and evolve with time, just as we all do. Okay. Uh, final question. I, yeah. Again, I, I can't, I'm about several songs into your album. I can't wait to listen to the rest oh, of it. Thank you. Uh, my final question is a superficial one, but come yeah. October, speaking of time forward, are you going to continue your Halloween tweet-a-thon and yeah, any recent rec- movie recommendations for our listeners? Oh my gosh. That's re- that is a, man, that's a great one. That's a good one. I, I, uh, I've been, I, I've been doing it since 2012 now and I, I have my work cut out for me because I'm running out of horror movies. I mean, I've, I've, I think I've tweeted out like almost a thousand now or something. I don't know what's 31 times times eight. Uh, um, I, I, it's like several hundred. I, I'm, yeah. I'm bad at math, but uh, <laughs> I've got to watch some more. One thing, you know what I loved that I watched last year was St. Maud. Um, I don't know if you saw that Rose Glass movie. Uh, that that was that's one of my favorite horror movies in recent years. I really thought that was really thrilling and interesting and moving. And I had I didn't know where it was going. And there's some amazing performances in it too. That that's a good one. John, thank you so much for your time. Samantha's going to kill me for this last twenty second question. But one of my best friends, his favorite one of his favorite films is Gremlins too. And I'm thinking, what? Why? And can you kind of defend him and answer that sort of Let's question? Let's see, Gremlins too. I mean, I, I'm thinking of the Key and Peele sketch where they they're going around the writers' room and they're they're pitching ideas for Gremlins too. I mean, I think it's one of the zanier sequels of all times. It's the first one is so amazing, and then the second one kind of loses the plot. So if you like the idea of a sequel supposed to be more, 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 uh, then man, Gremlins two, the new batch takes it all the way through the roof on that one. So there's something to be said for that. John, thank you so much for your time. And, you know, considering uh, our, I hope to interview you for a third time within the next couple of weeks. I do too. Thanks. It's great to see you again. Thanks for having me back. Eli, I, I really enjoyed God in the Night. Really loved it. Thank and you. I'm I'm going to, yes. And I'm, you're not going to thank me for the opening question, which I'm sure you've been getting several hundred times. But coming from the podcasting space, I really, you know, I really enjoyed how some of that kind of aesthetic regarding the sound design and the really intricate level of storytelling transferred over to cinema. That's what I noticed, but am I far-fetched in that trying to connect these two different practices? No, I think it makes sense. It's a good question. I mean, you know, neither one, you know, before I made Homecoming the podcast, I'd never made a podcast before. And then this was very much my first movie. So um, 
both experiences were very much just um just really trying to see if I could even do this thing, just trying to figure out the form as I was making it. And so, um, you know, sometimes by kind of, it can be hard to know how to tackle the full elephant, you know, but if you focus on one specific detail or a bunch of specific details, that's just a way in a way to attack it. So the process of thinking about the both were very similar. And so I guess it's, it's not surprising that the result was a little similar. I really also, I had a very uh, synchronistic kind of experience after watching Gone in the Night. I saw saw your movie, loved it. I went to my local uh, coffee place and I started chatting with someone who was 22 years younger. And I tried to, in the conversation, overcompensate. And can you, can you yeah. just, I, I really loved how your film really, it, it, it swims within those thriller elements, but it's really much more than that. Can you talk about the whole idea about generations trying their best to connect with each other? Yeah, I, mean, I think that's really what it's about. It, well, sometimes it's trying to connect. Sometimes it just, the way they are all can be terrifying. Like a confident 22-year-old is like, in a way, the scariest thing in the world, you know? And so in some ways, everyone has like a fear of and attraction to all the other different phases of life, you know? being older and having it all figured out or being older and near death, you know, um, being younger and being a young idiot or being younger and being so confident and intimidating. So yeah, I was trying to kind of harness all that terror and awkwardness and attraction and sort of put it in this thriller package. And, you know, in writing the script is how much of an added value, I guess that's under as understating that is having someone like Dermot and, Winona as as pretty much your de facto and, and co-leads in this movie. Well, she Winona's re, the lead, mm-hmm. but you can actually sit in these quiet spaces with them. And I think this is where your movie shines, where it doesn't have to be slavish to a certain kind of a generic thriller trope, but you can it's all about learning about these people and the the spaces where they exist. Yeah, I mean, we try just in more broad terms, play with genre in general, you know. Is it a thriller? Is it horror? Is it more of a character drama? Sometimes it's kind of comedy even. You know, we tried to begin with a somewhat classic thrillerish setup, you know, but then every time it gets close to being one specific genre, it kind of veers back. So maybe for some people that's kind of confusing or destabilizing, but for me, it's what keeps it exciting as opposed to a movie where you basically can lay out the first, you know, 85 minutes of the beats and you're just waiting to see how it ends. And then, yeah, with, with Winona and German, of course, just having these actors who I could totally trust to make any kind of scene magnetic was true. Definitely. Speaking of interpretation, and this is without this going back to the interview, it's obviously everyone will have their own take, but is this movie in a sense also encouraging people to come outside their box or, or you can say, well, I'm in my generation. I'm in my box. I have my plants. My life is good. How do you posit those two? Right. I mean, it's tough. I would say in some sense, it's encouraging, you know, for her, I think for the character of Kath, the one that Renona plays, she's getting it from all sides, kind of different sets of expectations, different senses of how she should be reacting to her own age and aging and mortality. You know, should she be in denial? Should she be sort of acting very grown up like some of her friends? And what she eventually does is just kind of listen own voice in a sense and sort of trust her own voice um, and have her own world and be willing to shut things out. So I don't know if I would apply that to, you know, every situation in life is the right advice, but I think for her in this way, I think that's right. Yeah. Speaking of finding your own, your own voice, what was the key for you 
Eli, in finding your own voice as a storyteller? Because I'll, I'll be honest, I, I posted my group and I was saying, oh, I, I really love this film. And then someone actually rebutted me. He said, well, I saw it uh, kindly. He said, oh, I saw the cat when I saw it when it was called the cow. And I, I thought it was dreadful. And then I rebutted back and I said, well, you know what? It's a thriller that really just goes on its own rhythms. And I really appreciated the singularity. So we had a back and forth on your film. Yeah. So how did you find your voice and not succumbing to a populist overreaching commercialization kind of voice. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. I wouldn't say I even, um, for me, maybe this is just semantics, but it's more about process than voice. Like, I don't know in the big sense, generally like what I'm trying to say or what kind of filmmaker I am or whatever. But if you just let each project kind of make its own rules and go step by step with them, instead of sort of having a received template of what a movie should be just by making all those decisions yourself, it will create some kind of personal project that'll generally be kind of idiosyncratic. And to me, hopefully more interesting than most things would be. So it's almost like I don't know any other way. I didn't come up doing this, you know, so I wouldn't necessarily even know how to start just making someone else's movie, you know, um, but, you know, there's pluses and minuses because I know there's going to be a lot of people who have that person's reaction because I think it's like interesting that you you think it's going to get really exciting and then it doesn't. <laughs> but I can also see if someone's like, well, why didn't it just get exciting? You know, <laughs> it's going to be really cool. I, th- I think it, t- it takes guts to make these kind of movies, which would gal- galvanize <laughs> the audience. Just obliviousness, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. No, well, final question to you is um, just for our, my podcast listeners. Can you name one of your all time favorite films? And what is it about this um, this movie that still resonates with you as a cinephile? Sure. Well, one, you know, I don't know about, I can't rank him or anything, but a movie that we talked about a lot when making this, that I think has been overlooked by a lot of people. There was a Danish movie, a Danish-Iranian movie from a few years ago called Border, B-O-R-D-E-R, yeah. um, which is just such a strange movie and so much plays by its own rules and so much defies categorization in the way that we were aspiring to with this one. So I don't want to say too much about it, but it's about this kind of very unusual woman with some special powers um, who works as a border agent um, in Denmark. Um, It's kind of a fairy tale, kind of a noir, kind of a monster story, but definitely totally, totally singular. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. And and before we, we let you go, are you still going to be in this um, filmmaking space down the road or is it, are you not going to pigeonhole you? Are you just pretty much, is the road open for you in so many different know, we'll spaces? See what they let me do. Um, so <laughs> who knows? Could okay. Be. I, I re- again, I honestly, I really love this film and, and just no, um, best of luck to, to, you know, moving forward. Thank so. you so much. All right. Take care, man. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.